after 20 this morning, it'd probably be less distracting for you if I took the bag of split peas down. Don't be embarrassed if that's your bag, okay? You can come get it. I want to say thank you to so many of you uh, who took up the uh, call of us to be in support Ellensburg Christian School yesterday uh, at the auction. There were so many of you there, and it was great seeing you. Uh, enjoyed a wonderful evening. Uh, grateful for Bill and his family being here and uh, for leading the school in a great direction and excited to see what God has for it in the future. So very thankful for it. Um, also, for those who are on the Everybody Everyday uh, prayer team who are part of a team who prays for uh, everyone in this body every single day, uh, there are notebooks ready in the church office uh, for you to pick up for this next quarter. And uh, so you can go in and do that, bring in the other ones uh, at another time, that'd be fine. Uh, if you would be praying in the next uh, few days and leading up the next two weeks for our elder retreat, uh, we head out uh, next Friday and Saturday, the 11th and 12th, not this Friday and Saturday, coming up uh, to Lake Chelan, and uh, we'll be meeting uh, for uh, a little over 24 hours, just uh, doing a lot of rigorous work. It's just a lot of grueling time together. Uh, we eat a lot of really good food. We enjoy a lot of laughs. We play some games. Uh, we do do quite a bit of work, uh, but we enjoy the time as well, and it's a wonderful time together. And uh, so be praying for the elders, for elder quality men uh, who will be joining us up there. I think there's going to be 11 of us up there this year, uh, which is the most we've ever had, which is appropriate. Much of what we're doing is on leadership development. And uh, so be praying that God would continue to grant us wisdom and grace uh, as we shepherd the flock here at Calvary, uh, praying for our time together that God would also grant us much uh, success and uh, movement flow uh, that would be God-honoring and helpful for the church. You're at Matthew 20 by now. I don't hear any pages turning. So if you would stand, let's read Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 29. We'll read into chapter 21 and verse 11. I think we'll make it that far this morning. So let's read uh, our text. You follow along in your copy of God's Word uh, as I read. Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 29. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and 
Others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. You may be seated. Have you ever been reading a book? I already lost a few of you. No, I'm just kidding. That was mean. Have you ever been reading a book and something in the book or in your day caused you to start daydreaming? Maybe the book's not very interesting or something's coming up or you've got lots of other things on your mind and you know you're still staring at the pages, but your eyes are no longer focusing on the words. You're literally staring at the book, but you cannot read the words until you take a glance and refocus your eyes. It's the same for some of us. Typically, guys are the stereotype in this illustration when we are looking for something and we cannot find it, only to have someone, usually the wife in this illustration, or our children maybe, show us it was literally right under our nose. We're seeing it and yet not able to really see it. The same idea is even spoken of regarding our minds. We can often say phrases like or think things like, he's not really seeing the truth. They're not able to fully see the situation. Or she cannot see that he is crazy about her. These are more than just being able to read something or, or look for the peanut butter in the pantry, but these are more of an understanding of catching the drift of what's going on, stepping back and seeing the big picture. We see in lots of ways, but we don't always understand or find what we are looking for. This is the truth in today's passage. This morning we have two blind men, physically are blind, but able to better see than anyone else. We have a crowd who can physically see and who are spiritually blinded. You have Jesus as he's coming from Jericho, a city that lay near the west bank of the Jordan, about 15 miles northeast of Jerusalem. Great crowd is following with Jesus. He has reached the ultimate of his popularity here on earth. It's in these segments that we read this morning that the most clamor, The most followers, the greatest noise and celebration is made for the person of Jesus on earth. The crowds are following him, and as they're doing so and making their way towards Jerusalem, Jesus has said and prophesied multiple times, we're heading to Jerusalem, and here's what's going to happen. And you remember the disciples heard it, but they didn't really hear it. They didn't really understand what it was that Jesus was saying. The crowds are no different. Maybe the word is going throughout the crowd of, this is why we're heading to Jerusalem, or this is what we've seen him do. But these people most likely are ones who, as we've seen throughout this gospel of Matthew, have watched Jesus do something incredible and want to follow him. 
like the blind men themselves. Something incredible has happened to them, something miraculous, and they want to follow this miracle worker. They've heard teaching like they've never heard before, and they want to follow him. They, they believe him to be a prophet or a teacher or maybe even the Messiah, and they're following him. Great crowds. That word, crowd, is mentioned several times in this passage that we're looking at this morning. The crowds are following him. Behold, verse 30 says, as the crowds are following, you have two blind men who are sitting by the roadside. These blind men, we will see, see Jesus better than the crowd does. Two blind men who are sitting by the roadside, they're not with the crowd. They're really not able to be with the crowd. They could be if somebody showed compassion on them and brought them along with them. They allowed them to hang on to their garments and kind of come behind them. But typically, people with this disability are all alone, left to beg on the roadside. And yet God in His kindness has given them community with themselves, that there's two of them. But these two men who have no hope of seeing apart from a miracle... They hear Jesus is passing by, and they begin to cry out. As they begin to cry out, you imagine if you're the crowd hearing these things that are happening, these men who are making a scene, what would your response be? I was really appalled when reading this text over and over again this past week to see a crowd who, of able-bodied people maybe even some who themselves have been healed by Jesus, turning to blind people on the roadside and telling them to pipe down. No more. Cut it out. He's not here for you. He doesn't have time for you. You're not his mission. You don't matter. Your infirmity, who cares that you're suffering? This is Jesus. And they begin to squelch the crowd, telling them to pipe down. And yet Jesus hears them. Jesus calls out to them. Jesus goes over to them. The, the two men would not be detoured. Jesus is not either. Crowds can be a powerful thing, can't they? There's strength in numbers. But Jesus is not swayed by the crowd. He's not deterred by them. And neither are the blind men. They only shout louder. The crowd has seen what Jesus can do, but the blind men believe that Jesus can do it. The crowd has seen and maybe experienced all that Jesus has done. They've heard the stories. The blind men have hearts of faith to believe it. They're desperate. They're crying out. Son of David. They give to Jesus similar language that will be given later when he's being paraded through the streets of Jerusalem. As the palms are being laid, it's the blind men who maybe give the inspiration for the title, but it's the, the blind men who see Jesus for who he is. The crowd believes him to be a prophet. The blind men believe him to be the Lord. Lord, have mercy on us. Apart from his mercy, they will have no sight. They are desperate, and they're crying out for Jesus. The crowd asks nothing of Jesus, at least in this story. And they receive nothing from him. The blind men beg for mercy from Jesus. 
and they receive their sight. Jesus goes to the blind men, even though the crowd is discouraging it, and he asks the blind men what they would like him to do for them. Here you see what Jesus has been giving to us in the last chapter, the heart of a servant, one who stoops down to help others, not one who's so high above that he cannot come down into the mess with other people, but one who was born into the mess, one who comes from a lowly family, one who desires and says, my mission is to serve others, to come as the suffering servant, not merely as a king who's in an ivory tower and untouched by people and their fingers, their hands, their dirt, their themselves, their mess. But Jesus hears the men. He talks to the men. He asks the men what he can do for them. And as the crowd is shushing or shouting at the men to pipe down, Jesus goes to them. And what does he do? Not merely does he ask them a question. You can ask questions from a distance. He doesn't just ask them questions, or he certainly doesn't have the posture of the crowd to rebuke them. But as they're begging for mercy from him, Jesus stops what he's doing, goes to them, and Matthew says he touches them. He touches their eyes, the very area that is their weakness, the very disability. Jesus goes and he touches them. He extends his hand and he lets them know his presence is right there. They can't see him. They can hear him. They can feel his presence close, but they can't yet see him. The crowd did not want anything to do with the blind men, but the very same crowd is the ones who are willing to shout the same praises to this Jesus as he enters Jerusalem. The blind men are shouting for mercy. The crowd is shouting praises to God, but they have to be getting God wrong because here they're wanting to silence the very mission that God has come to do. Blindness is a disability. We see it as a disability. Exodus chapter 4, Moses is speaking to the Lord as God is calling Moses to be his servant who will go out for his people. And Moses is making quite a bit of excuses. And in Exodus chapter 4, verse 10, Moses says, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. And we come away with that and think, oh, the Lord can do this through Moses, can make him eloquent. If he's not, if he doesn't feel like he is, the the Lord equips those that he calls, and he does. But did you miss verse 11? That it's the Lord who makes his mouth that way. The Lord who makes him deaf or mute or seeing or blind. It's not an accident. In God's eyes, in his economy, it's not a disability. These things are a result of the fall, most likely. But couldn't God determine it to be good and kind to create somebody in a way that's unique and of themselves and in a way that causes them to be utterly dependent upon him and his mercy? 
I have birth defects. Now, mine are the type that you can't see. You might have birth defects. You might have things that are unique to you that you would wish, you would pay good money right now to get rid of those. Might be something external, might be on your face, it might be hidden by your clothes, it might be inside, it might be internal. Especially if you're a parent, you're you're wanting anything that is abnormal about your daughter, your son, to be taken care of immediately. People are born all the time with all of these differences. Some things we refer to as disabilities or abnormalities. The reality is God creates all people in His image after His likeness and for His glory. And God desires to use those who are blind, those who are mute, those who are deaf, those who have a a heart issue, those who are born without a limb, those who are born with a mental disability, those who are born with emotional uh, differences to bring about His glory and His purposes and fulfill His mission in which He has given to them. These men, however, recognize that there is one coming who can change these things. What's more important is the faith that is expressed, not merely the reply or, or the call for their eyes to be opened. Jesus in pity touches their eyes, and immediately they recover their sight, and notice what they do. They could just jump up and down for joy and skip off. We can see. We can see. Wouldn't that be amazing? You can go to an optometrist every day of your life, and they cannot do what Jesus does right here. They cannot make you see. Now, they can give you a lens to put over your eyes that help you see clearer, but they cannot make the blind see. My apologies to any optometrist in the room. But they would be the first to know that that is their limitation. But Jesus' mission comes to seek and save the lost, to come to those who are hurting, to be a light to the nations, to open the eyes of the blind. Isaiah chapter 42 prophesies, as it says, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. But Jesus comes and he does just that. He opens the eyes of those who are physically blind And more importantly, he opens the eyes of those who are spiritually blind. Because every single one of us who have come to faith in Christ would be willing, knowing the grace of God in salvation and all that Christ has done to redeem us, would give up everything, our sight, our hearing, our ability to speak, our ability to walk, our ability to draw anything, that we might be saved. We would give it all up for spiritual salvation. Here Jesus comes, and the mission is to open the eyes of those that are blind, that they, in seeing, might see. These men could see Jesus spiritually by faith, and Jesus comes and physically opens their eyes. There's a miracle that happens because of their belief in Jesus who could have mercy on them. They cry out to the son of David. They give this title to him, one uh, of which is a kingly title that refers back to his lineage. 
and they cry out for mercy. The phrase there is Kyrie Eliasson, Lord, have mercy. It's a prayer that is often prayed, a brief prayer that is uttered by many, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. When we don't know what to say, Lord, have mercy. When I don't know where to go from here, Lord, have mercy. When I have no one else or nothing else I can count on, Kyrie Eliasson, Lord, have mercy. Here is the son of David who has come, the prophesied king who, back in Matthew chapter 1, the very first verse of this book, says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. When the angel comes to Joseph and prophesies of the birth of Jesus that is going to come through Mary, his wife, and by the Holy Spirit, he says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Jesus comes, descends from the lineage of David. He is the prophesied king, the one who is to come, who will rule and reign on the throne of David forever and ever. Matthew chapter 9, earlier in the gospel, verse 27, Jesus comes along two other blind men, and they too cry out aloud, have mercy on us, son of David. It says in verse 28, Matthew writes, When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. And he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. The son of David has come. This is more than just a prophet. This is more than just a miracle worker, but one who has prophesied, who has come. The blind men see better than the crowds can see. The blind men are able to see with eyes of faith, even if physically their eyes are covered. This is why even earlier we prayed that God would work to open the eyes of these children who have been dedicated to Him. Because currently they can see physically. Yet we desire them to see all the more in full glory Christ Himself to see accurately their sin and their need for Jesus, to cry out in utter dependence on the mercy of God. That is what saves us. It's not merely coming to church, externally following Jesus like the crowd does, going where He goes, looking after what He does, looking like Him, sounding like Him, telling people about stories of what He's done. But it's faith that's expressed through prayer that says, I cannot save myself. I am full of sin and undeserving. And yet Christ is a merciful Savior who has come to redeem us. The blind see better than the crowd does. The blind see with eyes of faith. The crowd, however, sees what they want to see and of what they hope will come to pass. The crowd sees what they want to see. The crowd sees two men who are diverting Jesus' attention away from what they want his mission to be. Whatever that is to follow him, they feel as though these two men ought not to disturb Jesus. Yet Jesus moves towards these two men. He heals them, and these two men follow him, become a part of the crowd. As they move towards Jerusalem, you know the story of what is called, tragically called, the triumphal entry. It's really the tragic entry, isn't it? Because we know what happens a week from now, five days from now, 
This very same crowd who got it wrong when they see two blind men on the side of the road and deter them from Jesus, desire to push them away and not let Jesus heal them because that would be distracting him or keeping him from what he's supposed to be doing or where he's heading. They thought they knew better than Jesus did. They saw, they thought they could see better the mission of Jesus and what it was he was to do. And and guess what? They think so too, even five days later. Because probably many who are in the crowd here, as they enter Jerusalem, you have a swelling of people in Jerusalem because the Passover is coming. And so a city is now all of a sudden amped up with a lot of energy and a lot of emotion and a lot of people. Remember, crowds can be really fickle. Crowds can move on a dime. All of a sudden, they're for you, and it doesn't take much until they're against you. There's a psychology I was reading up on a little bit. There are people who study crowd behaviors. It's a way of looking at probably many people even who are involved in emergency work. Policemen, firemen, watch and understand a little bit more of how crowds work and aware of the different dangers and difficulties that come because of a crowd. Here you have a massive crowd who is chanting, cheering for Jesus. If we were to stop here, we would think Jesus has come and he's going to overtake the Romans. He is in control. He's setting up his kingdom right now in Jerusalem. He's at the peak of his popularity. And yet five days from now, it might be some of the same crowd who are cheering that Jesus would be crucified. The crowd does not see with eyes of faith what the blind, man, blind men could see, what the blind, man, blind men excuse me, do see. But here you have people who are crying out, laying down branches. And yet in a few days, this one who is praised will be executed. His mission is to come and not be the popular one, to not be the king who overthrows political powers, to not be the king who right now is going to establish his rule and reign. But Jesus' mission is to those blind men, to us who are spiritually blind. It's to the lost, it's to the weak, to the sick, to the dying, to the disabled, to the dead. Jesus comes for those who know that they are sick, who know they are dead in their sins. Isaiah chapter 62 prophesies, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, clear it of stones, lift up a signal over the peoples. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. The merciful one who comes to the weak and the dead and the blind and the lost is the only one who comes with mercy, who comes to seek you out and redeem you. There is great rejoicing in the truth when we see with eyes of faith in eyes of truth, who Jesus is and what it is he has come to do, we too can cry out, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on us and our undeserving souls. And he will. Lord, have mercy on those who do not yet know you, that they might come to have eyes of faith, 
that even though Jesus might be right in front of them, the scriptures might be right in front of them, they might have glassed over their eyes and cannot see. Their eyes might be darkened and have no ability to see. It is God who opens the eyes of the spiritually blind. It is a work that only God can do. There's a story in Acts chapter 9. If you want to take your Bible there, we'll be there for just, just a brief bit. We'll read part of this story. But it's so apropos in this section looking at this story of these blind men juxtaposed to a crowd who can see but who are spiritually blinded. Acts chapter 9, you have the story of Saul. And beginning in verse 1, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue of Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that is, to the way of Jesus, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem, the same city Jesus is entering now. Verse 3, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless. Hearing the voice but seeing no one, Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now most people believe that at this point, Saul has already come to faith in Jesus. When he calls out on the Lord, who are you, Lord? And it could be that he's physically blinded now for the very first time and yet fully able to see for the very first time spiritually. Acts chapter 9, verse 17. So Ananias departed, entered the house, And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. And he rose, was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. It is the Lord himself who removes the blindness from our eyes. It is the Lord himself who opens our eyes to our need for Jesus, that opens our eyes to the beauty of the gospel that allows us to see who it is that we really are apart from him. And that is an unworthy sinner that allows us to genuinely see who he is and what it is that he has done. And that is that he is a merciful savior, that he has come and he has opened our eyes and he has given us life. He has come to seek and to save the lost and the dying. And that opening of our eyes and being able to see for the very first time enlarges our heart to the gospel and turns us inside out and upside down so that we no longer desire to live for ourselves, no longer desire to see things as we want to see them, as we hope they will turn out. We saw several parents up here, didn't we? With little ones. You think if your kids are older, you can put yourself in their shoes, and man, those are hard days. You saw a couple of the kids squirming around, and a few of them trying to grab the microphone, and, and that's all funny for us, not as funny for the parent who's holding the kid. If you did that once before, you probably know what that was like, like 
or was it holding on to your leg, and another one's in your arm squirming, wanting to get out. And, but every one of those parents have plans for their children, don't they? You have plans for your children. We have ways and things we hope that they will turn out like this. I hope my kids have really good careers, right, so they can take care of me no matter what. I hope they're medical doctors so that physically I'm cared for. I hope one of them might be a pastor so that I'm spiritually cared for. And maybe one of them's a counselor so emotionally I'm cared for, right? That feels like a take. Can another one be a construction person and build me a nice house? Or, right? We're thinking those things. Why? Because we often are so quickly to think on how we want things to turn out, how we view these things instead of what it is that God, when he opens our eyes, allows us to see truth for the very first time, changes us. God opens our eyes by his spirit, illuminates. That's the work, ministry of the Holy Spirit. When we read the scriptures, it's the spirit who illuminates us to be able to see the scriptures and to understand it so that I don't read the scriptures and take it for what I want it to say to me. This was done often, uh, often but this was done in a big way, in a commercial way, decades ago with the prayer of Jabez, where all of a sudden the passage is given and all of a sudden you go, yes, I'm going to pray that every day if I all of a sudden get my coast enlarged and my stuff expanded and multiplied. And isn't that going to be wonderful? Well, sure, yeah, we could take a lot of stuff out of context and make it sound really great for myself. Philippians chapter 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ. Don't tell that to the nine-year-old who's standing at the top of his parents' barn thinks he can fly. I can do all things through Christ. No, you can't. You can't do that and live or not break a bone because that's not what the text means. So all of a sudden, being able to see with the eyes of faith, the eyes of the Holy Spirit gives us and illuminating the scriptures to us, reminding us of our sinful condition and our need for Jesus so that we daily are responding like the blind men. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. I blew it again. Lord, have mercy. I'm thinking things I ought not to think. Lord, have mercy. This sin that is constantly a part of my life that I desire to mortify and to kill just creeps back up. Lord, have mercy to give me a heart of compassion for my neighbor. I walked right past him. They, they wanted to talk and I was busy. I was thinking of something else. Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, have mercy giving me every opportunity, every desire, commitment to be in your word that I might see what you want me to see and not just what I want to see. That we might have eyes, that we might have eyes if we were in the crowd to see the blind men, to see them in their hurt and to go to Jesus on behalf of them and their need. May we not be like the crowd who sees others as unworthy of Jesus' time, energy, ministry of healing. We can't even imagine, I, I can't imagine the lack of empathy in a crowd who sees two blind men crying out for help and mercy and tells them to pipe down so that we can keep going on where we're headed. May we not have eyes like that, Christian. Brothers and sisters, may we have eyes like Jesus had, a desire to help and to heal the lost and to bring them to faith. Jesus, 
has a great following. Only those who are going to add value to his cause, the crowd might think, are worth bringing along. These blind men offer nothing to Jesus. We look on the outside. The crowd looked at the blind men and saw no value. Jesus saw the blind men as those created by him and in his image. He knew them. With the intimacy of Psalm 139, he probably knew their names. Hey, I know you guys. I made your eyes. I made you blind. Not because I didn't love you, but for this. That could meet you here like this. Because apart from their blindness, they might have been in the crowd piping down other blind people. It's their blindness that puts them on the road, ready to receive Christ when he comes by, that brings them to a point of desperation and crying out for mercy. Who might we look at as having little value, no value, or not worth Jesus' time? Who might we sometimes get irritated with and just wish that they would stop? Quit being so noisy when we're trying to do Jesus' work. Quit mucking things up or messing around or... We say it often. We don't say it often enough, but somebody mentioned it. We love the noise of children around here. I love the noise of children. My fear is that there can be somebody who doesn't. And for that parent who says, I need to be in here. I need to hear the word of God preached to me, but my kid's a little noisy. To have an angry face turn around and scowl, I don't know if they'll come back. I don't know if I would have come back. But to have somebody who smiles, reminds us at the greeting time, we love hearing the oohs and the ahs and the, all of that stuff. And yeah, parents know more than anybody else when is the appropriate time to take the kid out of the, out of the room. They are the ones who are cringing the most. We know that, but we love it. We love the noise because we love that kids are here, hearing the gospel, not somewhere else, sleeping in, playing games, doing something else, but that they're here and they're hearing the word. So parents, whether you keep your kids in the service or you put them in children's church, know that they are welcomed and loved, and we love hearing the noises. But sometimes we can look at children and their excitement, running in the church, talking a little bit loudly, or a handicapped person who doesn't seem on the outward to offer as much. Mentally disabled person who from all external ex- from all externals we can view as somebody, we love having them come. But there's always a limit. A limit on our hospitality or a limit on ministry opportunities or a limit to value of conversation, of ministry to them. What about older Christians? What about those who are shut in? They can't come anymore. We're quick to forget them. We're quick to not have eyes that see them because we don't see them around as often. They were so involved before decades ago, and now are they living in a home? Where are they? 
We can't ask them to serve anymore. They're, they're older. Or we begin to see externally what the culture tells us. And we see as we want to see, not with the eyes of compassion, the eyes of ministry and grace towards others. The truth is that we all are in the same boat for those who have come to know Christ, that we are all desperately needy of Jesus at all times. We were all dead in our sins. We were all blind. And we still struggle with seeing accurately. And the truth is more that we need to speak honestly of our condition to God and to one another. I struggle in this area. Would you please help me see more clearly how I can minister to you and your family? I'm sorry, I don't remember your name. You've told me 25 times. But in all honesty, I haven't committed it to memory because I haven't had you in my home. You're not my life group. You're, you're not in a core group of families. And we all understand we don't have time for core group of families for everyone, maybe. But acknowledging, acknowledging our desperate need for Jesus, asking for others to come around us, praying, Lord, have mercy, and being part of those, the crowd who says, I see you, blind person, and I'm coming towards you because Jesus came towards me. The audacity of somebody in the crowd to have been healed by Jesus and to turn their back on somebody who's blind. We don't know what happened to these two blind men who followed Jesus after they were healed. But we hope that if they would have seen blind men along, further along the road, they would have been the first ones to grab them by the hand, to lovingly come alongside them maybe, and to say, Jesus is here. He's coming. Let me help you call out for him. He'll heal you. He did it for me. He can do it for you. The blind men have the eyes of faith open before Jesus heals their physical eyes, and they cry out to him in faith, in desperate need for mercy. And we are in the same boat. And Jesus has helped and healed our eyes. May we have eyes to see others that Jesus might desire to bring to faith. Because we who have been blind now see, and we bring along those who are currently blind who might one day see. This is a song I was actually listening to this morning. And I thought, I love that. It's an old song. Probably many of you know it. I'll just read one verse in the chorus and we'll pray. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Lord, have mercy. And he has. And may he again show it to us and be faithful. Father, we are so thankful for the mercy you have extended to us by your son, Jesus. May we never get over it. May we never lose sight of our condition before Christ. May we be honest with our current condition and our current state in Christ. May we never think that we have risen to a place where we don't need the mercy of Christ. And may we never get to a place where we don't see others' need for mercy from Christ. 
Father, give us eyes to see our own desperate need for you and help us to continually, daily cry out to you, Lord, have mercy, and to watch and experience your deliverance. And may we continually have eyes to see. Give us a heart of compassion to see others in their need for mercy and to go towards them and take them to Jesus. Father, would you help us to repent in areas that we know we have fallen short? Would you bring to mind those areas in which we have seen ourselves on sort of a pedestal, spiritually maybe, or within the church, within our community, our neighborhood, a moralistic pedestal and looking down on others who are noisy or messy or not like us or in a heap of trouble, maybe, and we think we know better, we can see better. Give us eyes to see them in their need and to go to them. Give us a heart of compassion. May we be like Christ in this way. And God, would you continue to bring people to faith in Christ through the ministry of your people, those who have been healed. May they help others find healing. And would you continue to extend and grow your kingdom, that we would not be people, a crowd who merely praises you and then five days later follows the crowd to crucify you, but those who have been genuinely shown mercy and extended it to others, those who have had their eyes opened to the beauty of the gospel and your desire to worship you no matter what may come because you are the way, the truth, and the life. Father, we are grateful for all that you have done for us and shown us in your word this morning, and we ask your blessing on it. And as we sing and receive the benediction in a few minutes, may you continue to bless us and encourage us and send us from here with your peace. In Christ's name, amen.